Thank you all. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians will be in the second chapter of Philippians in just a moment. Um, I, I just want to say as a, uh, being, being a, a, a preacher, uh, that there is a certain heaviness that, that I think you ought to carry when, when you approach the Word of God. And so, so just, just in a context, as you find Philippians chapter 2, to think about the, the reality of what we'll read in just a moment, and what Paul's call is to those Christians in Philippi, that, that, that we believe Paul was a real man who is in a real Roman jail as he writes this down with real ink on real parchment of some sort to send it to a real church of real people who are following a real Jesus and perhaps are struggling in their own lives as they make their commitment to Christ, as they live out that commitment to Christ, um, as they face questions about their own faith, as they face uh, pressure from outside of the church, from the Roman Empire, from perhaps Jewish relatives that, that they would have interacted with um, who had not followed after Christ. Paul himself, the uncertainty of being a prisoner of Rome and the unknown of what is to come. And so I think as we look at this text, we we, we see a man who is wrestling with these things himself, that is perhaps preaching to himself as he writes and preaches in that way to a group of local believers who are following after Christ. To me, that is a weighty thing because this is a true message that God has preserved some 2,000 years that is appropriate and fitting not only in the first century, but in the 21st century. And I feel a weight and a responsibility to be faithful to not only what Paul would have intended, but what God through his Holy Spirit would intend for them in that first century, but to us in the 21st century. And so, so, so there is a, a heaviness in me. There has been this week to deliver this text to you and to allow the Holy Spirit to take it and to work it into your heart and into your mind so that we would be the kind of Christians that God would have us to be. And so with that being said, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. We read verses 12 through 18 together for our text today. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you also. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. As we look at this text, the first thing that, that jumps out to us there in verses 12 and 13 is that God desires growing Christians. 
God desires growing Christians. Now I want to take those verses and turn them around for just a moment. And I want you to understand verse 13 gives us helpful foundational context. Paul says that it is for it is God who wills and works in the life of a Christian for his good pleasure. That, that the growing Christian's life brings glory and joy to God who has created us for that purpose. And so before you think that we are simply talking about a, a sermon that, that is a self-motivation or a self-help, I want you to understand that Paul's understanding of this text is that it is God who is expressing his desire for us to grow in our likeness of Christ and our faith and dependence on him. And, and not only that it's his will, but he is the one who empowers that, who fuels that so it can come to be. And so as we live in obedience, we are always still living in dependence on Christ to accomplish these things. Dependence on the power of God at work in us to accomplish this way of living in our lives. And he says here in this text that, that it is God's desire that you would work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I, I, I use that in verse 13 to be careful with verse 12 so that you don't hear work out your own salvation and think that that now this is going to be a sermon about doing good works and then that will get you into heaven. Because that's not what this text is calling us to do. It's not teaching us that, that our good works are ultimately what please God and allow us into his presence. That, that, that bring the forgiveness and the restoration and the peace that, that we need with God. Paul is speaking to Christians and he is calling them to pursue their relationship with God in a serious way. And so that, that working out, as I think about that, I think about, um, man, I tell you what, on, I know it's Father's Day, but one of the things that I miss so much is Granny Hewitt's cat head biscuits. Now in Georgia, they call them cat head biscuits. I don't hear cat head biscuit reference very often in Kentucky, but but, but I didn't know if that was just a Georgia thing or if that's, if that's sort of a South thing. But cat head biscuits, man, they were so good. But the older I got, I would see all the work that it took her to make that big mound, that beautiful mound of cat head biscuits. And it was a lot of work of sifting through the flour, of the kneading the dough, of working it out, of getting that rolling pin out and working it and smoothing it out and then cutting that flour into those those shapes, those, those circles there, and placing it onto the, the pan and, and doing the baking. When I saw her working that flour with her rolling pin, it never made me think, well, Granny invented the water that she's using in these biscuits, or Granny invented the flour that she's using in these biscuits. No, they were always ingredients that had come from somewhere else, but she was paying careful attention to work them together just right, that the proportion of water and flour and baking powder or whatever else that she put in those biscuits, um, lard, whatever was in there, it was just right that, that it would accomplish golden brown perfection. Well, that's what God's calling us to do here in this text is, is to, to take what he has brought to our lives 
and to stir that up, that, that faith, that obedience, his word and, and the teaching that's there, the others that he has brought into our lives as other Christians in the church to help us to, to grow in our faith so that we will be more like Christ. And he, he, he speaks about doing that in a very intentional way because he says to do it with fear and trembling, with, with reverence and respect, with, with awe. And just a resolve that, that, that I'm going to grow in my faith because it brings joy to my Father in heaven. I'm going to grow in my faith because that's what God has called me to do it's what he wants me to do and then Paul begins to help us in this text understand that as we grow in our faith it is seen around us and so he gives a very practical application a very practical example here the second thing that, that we see is that the life of a growing Christian is evident the life of a growing Christian is evident you say, how is it evident? Well, look where he went, right? Right in his text. In verse 14, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, some of you are wearing masks and some of you are not wearing masks, but in the first service, I couldn't really tell. And so maybe I was the only parent in the room who feels this way. But one of the ways that, that we kind of take the temperature in our family is when an announcement is passed down from dad or from mom to the children, somewhere along the lines, there will be a discussion about, well, was there any complaining about it? Well... Did they gripe about it? Well, did they bicker about it? No, they were pretty quiet. They seemed to, it's like, okay, good. We're going to be able to move forward here. As we look at this, this, this grumbling, this disputing, in all honesty, to a sinful person and to sinful people, that's a native language of ours, is to, to gripe, to complain, to grumble. Maybe you just do it under your breath, or maybe you do it in some ways that, 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 that others can't hear it and aren't so mindful of it, but, but we're pretty good at griping and complaining. And so Paul says one of the ways that it's evident that God is at work in a Christian is that they live their lives without grumbling or disputing, fighting, divisiveness. That they live innocent and unblemished pure lives you see that takes transformation in us to accomplish that because it is not natural for us to live in that way ultimately when we complain what we are saying is that we are not satisfied in what God has given us and when we tell God that we are not satisfied in what he has given us Ultimately, what we mean is that we're not satisfied with God. And so there, there is a spiritual level. If you're not satisfied with your house or your spouse, if you're not satisfied with 
your church. If you're not satisfied in your vocation. And granted, there are ways that, that, that we need to address things because sometimes we shouldn't be satisfied with those things. But are we looking to ourselves or are we looking out to others? Maybe the problem is us and that, that needs to be addressed. But we rarely gripe about ourselves. We rarely say to our spouse, I don't know why you tolerate me. Most often we think and we say, aren't you glad that I tolerate you? You're probably wise enough to not say that out loud, hopefully. But that tends to be our mindset. We don't think, how can I serve this church in a greater way? How can I sacrifice more? How can I encourage more? We tend to think and wonder, when will they get it together? When will they figure it out? Paul, in a Roman jail, uncertain of his future, his crime, preaching the gospel, and being a church planter, is calling Christians to turn away from grumbling, to be satisfied with God, to be satisfied in what he has given you in Christ, to be satisfied in his spirit at work within us, to be satisfied in the church around us. And granted, there are things that need to be addressed and things that, that need to continue to change. Paul addresses that to these Philippian Christians, but at the same time, he can do it in a way that avoids grumbling and it avoids complaining. And as this change, this evident change, begins to take root in our lives, we, we see that the life of a growing Christian brings light to the world around them. The, the life of a growing Christian brings light to the world around them. A blameless and innocent life resting in Christ in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation stands out like brilliant stars against the night sky. That's what Paul's saying here in this text. Among whom you be, you be without grumbling, without complaint, with disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Why? So that you will shine as lights in the world. People notice if you don't go along with running down the boss, if you don't go along with running down your spouse, if you are not continually complaining and causing disputes and division, whether it's as, as much as you let somebody have it verbally or you just shake your head, if you withhold from that, people notice. And it raises curiosity within them that you have this settled peace that the rest of us don't seem to have. Why do you have this settled peace that the rest of us don't seem to have? 
And the Lord gives us opportunities, not for arrogance, but for humility to talk about the goodness of Christ and about our desire to rest in him and the provision that he has given to us and how it is sufficient for us. Therefore, it is shaping our lives. And I say, I say part of the heaviness is that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I know, Lord willing, what I'm going to preach on Sunday because I'm hooked into this text and I'm studying it. And so that means that as you hear this right now, I've had five or six days for the Holy Spirit just to say in me, huh, huh. As I, as I think, as I speak to families, as I speak to children, as I deal with things in the workplace, as I, as I live in this world around me, for the Holy Spirit to say, what are you preaching on Sunday? Oh, is that what you just said? Was that a, was that a complaint that I heard? Was that a grumble that I heard? And so I think Paul in this text is, is as much as he is preaching to the Philippians, he's preaching to himself. Because we've got to preach this to ourselves. And it's got to be more than just don't grumble, don't complain. There's got to be more to it than that. And the more to it is be satisfied in Christ. Be satisfied in God. Rest in what he has done for you. Rest in what he is doing for you. Rest in who he is. And, and I say that because Paul says it. He says here in this text, he says, holding fast to the word of life. And so there's got to be something that's helping me to fight against that grumbling and that complaining, that disputing, that division, that, that, that arrogance, that wanting my way. And he says, the weapon that you have is the word of life. Throughout the New Testament, the word of life comes to be a way that they say gospel. Christ. The hope of Christ. The power of Christ. Preach to them the word of life. Tell of them, tell them of the word of life. That means Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Point them to his power. And so here in this text, we come to understand that the life of a growing Christian is anchored to the gospel. The life of a growing Christian is anchored to the gospel. You see, you need to understand that the gospel is, is more than, than we could ever imagine. Because while the gospel is the fact that Jesus dies for our sins, that, that our sins have, have pushed us away from God, they have separated from God, they have broken that relationship with God. And, and the Bible tells us that it's only through a sacrifice that we can be made right with God. And Jesus comes to be the sacrifice because he had no sins of his own. As much as, as we put our sins on him and he forgives us and acts as that substitute, what we need to understand is the fullness of the gospel also helps us to realize that not only does he take our sins from us, but that Jesus gives to us his righteousness. That for 33 years he lived in complete faithful obedience to the Father. He lived in perfect righteousness. 
And because of that, he is able to give to us his righteousness. And so that's how when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ in us. He has taken our sin and placed them on Christ. And we instead have received the righteousness of Christ. And as a demonstration of his resurrection power, Jesus has now placed his Holy Spirit within us to seal us, to say, you are mine, therefore live in my way. And that goes back to what Paul is saying in the first part of this text. It's, it's, it's his will, it's God's will for us to live in obedience to him, but he also empowers us to live in that way because through the power of Christ he gives us the Holy Spirit of Christ to live within us and that's why this is not self-help there is a role for you to play there is a role for me to play to 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 make a decision to obey to turn away from sin and to turn toward obedience but god has not left you he has not left me to do that by our own strength and power he is at work in the christian through his holy spirit to empower us toward obedience and so so you say how how do I turn away from grumbling and complaining? Well, it is a matter of you making a choice to turn away, but it's also a matter of you leaning in, pressing into the power of God, dependently saying, I'm going to follow after you. Lord, give me the strength to not say what I would have said. God, change my thoughts so that I don't think in that way anymore. Change the way I see the world. Change the way that I speak to others in the world. And Paul says, as you live in this new way, you will stand out like stars on a dark night. And it's through his spirit, it's through his word, it's through brothers and sisters in the faith and the local church who come alongside, who help us, who are in encouragement. And Paul says here in this text, he says this word of encouragement to them because he knows that this is going to be tough. This is going to be hard to live in this way because we're going to have to fight against sin. We're going to fight against the influence of, of the world around us, to fight against our own inclination. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And so on one hand, when I see injustice, I think it will not always be this way. There is a day of Christ coming. For he will make wrongs right. And when I see somebody throw a brick through a window, I think it will not always be this way. There will be a day when Christ will make wrongs right. And so he has called me and he has called you, Christian, to turn away from grumbling and disputing. In your home, in your marriage, in your family, 
in your workplace, in the church, in the community around. And he has called us to pursue Christ-likeness, no matter the cost, because it will be worth it. There will come a day when we will be with Christ. And when we will be free of temptation and struggle and strife, even within ourselves, certainly from the world around us. And on that day, we will say, I am so glad that I made whatever sacrifice for Christ because he is worth it. To be with him was worth it. This morning, I, I pray that, that you are reminded of the perspective that what you see and the conditions of the world around you are not all that are. There is coming a day that we are headed to where Christ will be the king that he is. But I would also call to you and ask you, between here and that day, are you turning from grumbling? Are you turning from disputing? Are you turning toward being innocent and blameless? Are you living your life so that it shines like the stars against the night sky? In the midst of a twisted and crooked generation, as Paul calls it, do people see you and know there's something different about that man, about that woman, about that student? There's something different. Maybe today you want that change. You need that change. And so here we are in the age of social distancing. Where in so many Baptist churches, we would typically sing a song and somebody would respond right then to the gospel of Christ. And that they would ask for the forgiveness and the grace and the kindness of Christ. Know that it is available to you now. That number that I gave you, 270-279-1039, is also available for texting to, to, to have follow-up conversations. But for those here in person, when we're finished singing in a moment, come and find me. I'll have a mask on. We'll stay six feet apart. But Jesus can change your life even from six feet away. You stay where you are and I'll be looking for you if you were to linger there. And come and talk or you come and talk to me. But I pray that you would respond today to Christ and his call to us. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for the fact that you have pursued us, God. That, that you have rescued us out of our self-centeredness, out of our selfishness, Lord, out of our sin. And God, your desire is to transform us and to change our lives so that we know joy and peace, forgiveness and hope in Christ that we become more and more like Christ. And so, Father, I pray that, that you would work in us to call us to you for the first time, or, Father, in this ongoing relationship that we have with you. Father, call us near so that our lives would be transformed, that we would indeed be growing Christians. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Let's stand. On this day, Father's Day, I, I'm reflecting upon the 
person I told first in my life that I wanted to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior as my dad. My dad uh, left this earth uh, three years ago or so, and he was my hero. But one day I'm going to see him again. And I know many of you have lost parents and lost your father. There's another person that is my heavenly hero. And one day we will meet together, whether I see him come in the clouds or whether I see him in heaven. And I say, just come soon. Let's sing this together. All of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway that for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saint, let every nation shout out your fame. Jesus is coming soon. 